The first song I ever heard from Walter Martin was one of his children's songs. The Spotify algorithm was serving me music it thought I would like based on my frequent listening to The National. I gotta say, it did a great job because it brought me a song that would eventually lead me to this podcast. At first, the song felt out of place. In between melancholy refrains about anxieties, trouble relationships, and office worker woes, there was this silly, lighthearted song about singing. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Here's the thing. You know, I love writing songs, but I can't sing. I need a little advice or something. Just a couple pointers, so I gave you Matt the ring. I was surprised when Matt Berninger's baritone voice appeared in this totally new context, framed by some of the most joyous instrumentation that you could imagine. If you sing too high, it's got no appeal. If you sing too low, it just don't sound real. So just close your eyes, Walt, and sing what you feel. You know, Walt, I got a little exercise we can try. Repeat after me. Okay. Oh, oh. This was the song that tripped me down the Walter Martin rabbit hole. A hole that I'm still tumbling down to this very day. Okay, that's pretty good. Let's try ah. I can see why Spotify recommended it. In addition to The National, I was also obsessively listening to Jack Johnson's album for the Curious George movie. Suddenly, I was surrounded by these wonderful children's records that were just as fun and engaging for adults as they were for children. And they were odd. These were not children musicians. They were artists who were successful as normal adult musicians, but they felt this desire to jump out of their comfort zone and make something for a new, much younger audience. For Walt, that leap was a crucial step in his lifelong journey as a songwriter. Today, we'll explore that journey as well as the Bears' most whimsical song, Hiram Hollow. Before he started recording solo music, Walt was exploring lyrics through his time in The Walkman. I mean, I think the process started when I started writing lyrics in The Walkman and uh, figuring out how important, how, how just, you know, I just before I was writing lyrics in The Walkman, I was, I was much more obsessed with like the rock and roll as- aspect of things and the sort of cool aspect and the, you know, I, I, I really, rock and roll is my first love. And so making like sort of badass rock and roll was really my life's mission for for many, many years. As Walt continued, his approach matured and he found a deep love for lyricism. You know, but then when I got a little bit older, I was like, you know, I I started really getting into the lyrics. And that's and when I started doing lyrics in Walkman, it was where I realized it was something I could do for a long time, you know, something that like you know, there's no age limit on on writing lyrics or putting words together in it in some way. He was hooked. Yeah, that's how I got the bug, and I really loved doing that in the, in the band. When the Walkman went on hiatus, he had to figure out how to translate this talent to his own voice. Then, then when I wanted to make stuff on my own, figuring out how to, to make stuff that the words are actually going to come out of my mouth and represent me, uh, I, I didn't realize exactly how different that would be or how hard that would be. I think I had the craft of writing and putting songs together and putting rhymes together, and um, but I didn't know how to make them into my own. Walt found the answer in children's music. You know, and if I call it a kid's record, then I can sort of hide behind that 
and I don't have to be competing with everybody else and I don't have to be like on pitchfork and I don't have to be like pretending I think I'm cool and I don't have to do any of that stuff. And it's be very open hearted and I can like have guests sing on it. It'll feel like a very generous, nice gesture. And I have kids and it would just feel innocent and charming and sweet. It just felt like an art project. It felt like making like my fantasy kids record with like a song about rattlesnakes and like, you know, sort of imagination songs and songs about dreams and like romantic songs and open hearted, like sort of sweet songs. This art project worked out well. His first two children's albums each won a Parents' Choice Award, and a number of those songs were featured in commercials for companies like Apple. If you actually go on like his related artists on like Spotify or something, the the algorithm, because I think he's more known for the kids' records, his related artists are literally Bert and Ernie. Creatively, this gave Walt the push he needed to start regularly releasing solo material. Over the coming years, he bounced between music geared towards kids and music geared towards adults, often blurring the line between the two. I'm probably going to mention Nilsson multiple times on this. Eric D. Johnson again. I feel like Nilsson and Newman, I, I sort of hear them lurking and they, they have that sort of sadness and a little bit of darkness. And there's this kind of like this sort of late night New York feeling to their music. And yet there's like this sort of childlike uh almost kind of like storybook quality to it as well. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, it's almost like uh, the work of Roald Dahl or something like that too, where it's just like for kids, but then like kind of this beautiful, there's kind of this dark pathos in there somewhere too, and they can sort of exist side by side somehow. Because of his childlike perspective, he can make both effortlessly. Singer-songwriter Kat Edmondson, who appears on two tracks of Walt's first children's album, We're All Young Together. He's maintained a sort of purity that a child has, um, a, a plain quality that's not convoluted, it's not, you know, a, adults are sophisticated and complex, and he seems to have been able to avoid that somehow and and, in a really wonderful way and in the way that we all hope to you know he's maintained a sense of wonder and um honesty that we find in children i think the bear is mostly an adult album i would say generally speaking most six-year-olds don't have the perspective to wrestle with the generational themes we see presented here but there is one exception, a song that shirks the documentary feeling of the album in favor of a limerick-like cadence and fantastic visuals. Like in the song um, Hiram Hollow. Hiram Hollow is, is this place, it's actually the trash, the trash facility near my house. And I just really liked the, I saw the title and the name and I was like, oh man, what a beautiful pa- pairing of words. Hiram Hollow kicks off the second half of the album. And it does feel like an intermission. Unlike a lot of the other songs we've discussed so far, this one intentionally plays in the space of fiction, giving it a distinct break from the rest of the album. Yeah, that one, like the references to like my, I'm just a dandy like father before, like that stuff is just, a lot of the stuff that is for the rhyme and for like the image, you know, like that's all just pure fiction. That's just, that was just for fun. That was me. I, you know, I, I wrote that song because that song sort of borrows melodies and borrows lyrics. Like the, you know, I'm, when I was a young man, I carried my pack. That's like the opening line from this Pogue song that I love. 
I just I wrote that fast, and I really like the rhyme and the rhythm. It's kind of like whatever, like a limerick or something. It's like the, the, the once was a man from Nantucket kind of thing. I just really like a, I like a tight rhyme. Uh, so that was sort of an exercise in that. Uh, and then I ended up just really loving it and loving. You know, I think there's a lot of warmth in it too that I hear. And then I wanted the end to be super warm. While it may have come together quickly as a fun writing exercise, Hiram Hollow brings a unique perspective to these themes of recollection one that pulls from Walt's children's albums by reinterpreting a history as fable. It is recollection appearing in its most basic form, a form that has been utilized throughout all of human history. Storytelling. And this story starts with a young man. When I was a young man, I carried my pack, went down to the river and I brought a whale back. I tilted my crown and paraded through town, but I lost all my dough at the track. How he describes himself as this kind of ambitious character, it it almost strikes me as like early 20th century kind of humorist. Like there's a particular comedy that's like the Marx Brothers or, or something. You know, he talks about how he perceives himself and he's wearing a crown and he tilts it backwards and then he goes and he loses all his money at the tracks. Those opening lines are a bit of a one-two punch. The first line, a young man setting off with his backpack, is a very grounded and relatable image. That's immediately followed by probably the most absurd imagery we get on the record, that young man carrying an entire whale he found in the river. Right off the bat, Walt is bringing us into the world of this song. This isn't the same kind of honest recollection we've been experiencing up until this point. This is the larger-than-life, cartoonish exaggerations that you might see as someone retells their life story to an entranced audience of nieces and nephews. With this lens, maybe Hiram Hollow is another way to talk about Walt's own history leaving home as a young man, ambitiously chasing after a life in the music industry, and learning through experience that it's not always as easy as it seems. In the next stanza, we see a humbled depiction of this young man, a dandy who listens to his mother and wears roses. See, I'm just a dandy like father before. I learned from my mother, stay close to the shore. But I bought a big boat, pinned a rose to my coat, and I'll fight if they send me to war. And he just keeps speaking about like, oh, but I'm going to go and fight the war, and I'll die saying all these gallant, gallant things, you know, that would seem so admirable. And, and, and all the while, he's just a little bit of a buffoon, and it's so wonderful because it's so human, you know? It's like, that's really like... We make these strides in life and then we just end up on our ass, you know, and it's, and it's, it's so relatable. I, that's one of my favorite songs on the record. I, I've, it's, it's, it's like a sea chanty or an old Irish folk song or something, you know, and I love the way it comes across. This gusto, claiming he'll fight in the war, is immediately undercut in the next stanza, as the young man weeps over a fox that he shot. As I shot a fox as he drank from the pond, I looked in his eyes as he met the beyond. I sat there and cried as my wife tanned his hide, man, I still don't know which side I'm on. 
like killing the snake in New Green, this is an uncharacteristic depiction of animals. While the fox is viewed as particularly tragic, both have an air of pragmatism about them. He's not just killing a fox. His family is tanning the hide and making use of it. But that doesn't make the killing itself any easier. Just to clarify, Walt has not actually shot a fox. No, I've definitely not killed a fox. I don't think I've ever killed anything, apart from insects. I think it's also about sort of like a city boy's sort of pastoral fantasy kind of song, you know, just sort of like the animals and shooting a fox and my wife tanning his hide. I don't even know if, what tanning his hide necessarily means. Uh, and just sort of like on a not fully informed city guy talking about the country, I guess there was that sort of that sort of uh, vibe a little bit. As the song continues, Walt paints this pastoral picture with rich images and more references to color, a common theme on the album. Eventually, we get into the start of the second verse, where Walt takes a step back to share some totally factual accounts of his extended family. So I tell the old stories, but no one believes. They think there's some trick hiding up in my sleeve. But I do declare that my uncles ate bears and my aunties made rings with their teeth. In this lyric, we get almost a thesis for the bear. This album has been full of tales, some too crazy to believe, but there is always a truth to them. Here, Walt becomes an oral historian, documenting the antics of his aunts and uncles through apocryphal claims. Even if the lines themselves aren't very believable, it would be hard to say they are entirely untrue. Like we've seen on this album, sometimes personal histories can be abstracted through art. Something else of note is that this stanza is featured on the only wearable merch for the bear, a t-shirt with this line scrawled across the front. I have one and it is a great t-shirt. It makes sense that Walt would want to highlight this song. It is a crossroads, both for the album and Walt's larger discography. He is able to take these elements of his past music and weave them together with the more stripped down and honest approach of the bear. So at the progression of all those records that I've made, I, you know, I made whatever, six or something. I think sort of stripping away the different little things I was hiding behind, like the kids record thing was a great trick for me to hide behind, you know? And uh, and then having an album about art history, it's just like sort of little themes that you, you can, uh, you know, talk about yourself and talk about things you really care about, but there's just a layer of humor or a layer of uh, acuteness or something. Um, that is just like, hey, yeah, I don't know. It makes it, it's easy. It makes it, makes me more comfortable saying things that are really important to me. And I mean, I, I still love having, it's still important to me to have humor in the music, but um, I, uh, yeah, I feel like it's just more stripped away. Everything is more stripped away now. With the bear, he's speaking unguardedly about things that, that we face in adulthood and life and, and middle age. And incidentally, it's so refreshing. With the bear, Walt is able to give that humor and lightness the spotlight without having to use it to shield more serious sentiments. I remember making that World at Night album with uh, Josh Kaufman and him saying like, you don't need to have like a punchline at the end. I, he was more talking musically, but he meant like, he's saying you don't have to have like a musical punchline at the end of, of everything. He's like, you can, I think he was basically saying you can have the nerve to say something that's serious without having like a little 
whatever at the at the end of it which is uh, for some reason my instinct a good example of this instinct is in hey matt the song we talked about at the start of the episode where the music and lyrics come together to deliver that punchline you know matt you got a very very special voice but i admit for this song you weren't my first choice you see matt i tried to get randy newman but Randy Newman never actually responded. So thanks for stepping in, Matt. It really means a lot. Thanks, Matt. No problem, Walt. You really asked Randy Newman to sing in this song? Yeah, I did, actually. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I know. Why didn't you do it? I don't really know. I'm thinking maybe he thought my organ playing was too flashy or something. I don't know. Or maybe he's not into hand claps, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, all right, let's keep practicing. All right. I love that moment, and it works perfectly in a lighthearted song with a novel premise. On Hiram Hollow, however, the approach is flipped. Instead of descending further into fantastic and absurd imagery or pulling the rug out from underneath us, Walt reins it in to something much more grounded and vulnerable. This song about fables, half-truths, and outlandish tales ends with an homage to Walt's very real grandma the same one his own mom told us about when we covered Baseball Diamonds. Now my mother's mom was a singer, you see But she died in 1973 The next year I was born And since then I have sworn I can hear her voice singing to me It's not a punchline, but it is a climax that gives context to the rest of the song and the album as a whole. We are not going to be here forever. One day, we will pass on, and all that will be left are the stories our loved ones tell. Some will be exaggerated, some blatantly false, while others will carry the weight of distilled honesty. I never really knew my own father's parents. My grandma died when my dad was just a toddler, and my grandpa died many years later when I was just a toddler. The only memories I have of them are the ones my dad lends me. The way my grandpa would bounce me on his knee, or how my grandma would carry my infant father on her back as the whole family went backpacking through the Sierra Nevadas. Tales of our family's old desert property coax images of a full, lively, and geriatric home, plucked straight from the first chapters of Road Dolls, Charlie, and the Chocolate Factory. These were the punchline tales I grew up on. One Father's Day, my dad took my brother and me to visit the family graveyard. Many of these names died when my dad was just a kid. His mom, his brother. Through tears, he told us the difficult stories of growing up in a long, grieving household. I wouldn't call it a fun day, but it has become an important and fond memory. That day of honest storytelling stuck with me, in part because it was supported by the hundreds of lighthearted tales I had heard up until that point. Humor and heart go hand in hand, highlighting each other. They are inseparable. For example, later that Father's Day, my crying family was crowded out from a shady park tree by a sudden rush of parents, kids, and coaches there for an upcoming Little League game. 
we had to shuffle off to a new spot and kind of pick up that emotional talk right where we left off. I'm sure when I tell my own kids the story of that day, it too will exaggerate itself in their minds. Next episode, we'll be shifting from the most whimsical track on the record to perhaps the darkest, and we'll dive deeper into the push and pull of humor and heavy topics. The Song Is Never Done is a production of Newton's Dark Room. It was written, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Talon Stradley. The cover art was created by your brother and mine, Trent Stradley. All the music you heard is by Walter Martin. You can purchase The Bear and all his other albums at waltermartinmusic.com. Might I suggest We're All Young Together, Walt's first children's record featuring a few people you've heard on the podcast. All that and more at waltermartinmusic.com. Special thanks to this episode's guests, Eric D. Johnson and Kat Edmondson. Thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, Fuzzy Delp, Sunny, and Mac Edo. If you want your name in the credits, plus buttons, special transcripts, and more, support Newton's Dark Room on Patreon. Want to talk about your favorite children's music? You can find me on Instagram at Newton's Dark Room. For all my other podcasts and everything else, you can visit newtonsdarkroom.com. Thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>